This is the Check It Out podcast. This is a podcast in a series that we're doing on World War Z, the oral history of the zombie war by Max Brooks, which is our one book uh, series. This is a podcast on the environment as character. And I'm Troy Swanson. I'm Kish Hayes. And I'm Joe Malarkey. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about one of the themes of our upcoming one book. I thought this was relevant since there's so much discussion about sustainability on our campuses. Uh, one thing that, you've, that I've noticed reading a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction is that the environment is almost like a character that plays itself out in all of these stories. And I was wondering if we could maybe talk a little bit about how that plays. Um, you know, it, it comes up in so many different ways, but I think... The thing that I'm super fascinated by is the way the environment is is the thing that's going to outlast us. Um, and then in a post-apocalyptic world, it is also the thing that becomes an obstacle to us. Um, so, you know, in the, in the road, you have, like Cormac McCarthy, you, you have this man and child traveling down this road. So on one hand, you know, traveling the road is not difficult, but this destroyed environment makes it hard to breathe, it makes it hard to get clean water. Everything that their lives depend on that they used to take for granted is no longer available to them. And just this idea of trying to get to a coast and having to traverse mountains, um, but having some hope that on a coast there's going to be something safe and something mm-hmm. reliable because, you know, how can how can we have messed up the oceans? Um, I think that's a pretty interesting concept. I think that comes up a lot. Like, if we can just make it to, you know, this landmark, if we can just make it across the mountains, that that comes up in, in post-apocalyptic fiction a lot. Because if we no longer have landmarks, I mean, that aren't natural natural spaces. Right. Um, and it, it's almost like the environment as um, desert, like a, a desert metaphor. So it's because... It, you know, most of us aren't at a point anymore where we could just go out and, and be self-sufficient, right? Like, I don't have my corn in my livestock in my backyard where I can just easily live off the environment. But the environment, even if it's not a real desert, literally, is a place where you can't just go out and find food. The supermarkets are closed in all of these stories. And so the, the movement through, like you said, finding that point, because right now I can't eat and survive even find clean water, getting to this point where I can is really is really significant. And I think so much of the, the apocalypse that we are concerned about is, you know, in things like Oryx and Crake, The Road, um, a lot of the other ones that we're, we're huge fans of, it's the environment that we've, is, is really, the environmental crisis is what is the apocalypse. So it's, right. we are, you know, we've destroyed it via nuclear war, we've destroyed it with, um, you know, the genetically modified crops that we've grown, we've destroyed our water supply because of chemicals we've dumped. So it's... Global warming is such a big theme of recent post-apocalyptic. Right, and so that's yeah. the thing that causes the crisis. So the environment in some ways, too, is is our is the thing that we've destroyed. It's also our antagonist, um, and it's the thing that, you know, we have to wrestle with to kind of get back to any kind of normalcy. It, the, the the stories would be a, it'd be a different kind of narrative if it wasn't our fault, right? That right if if yeah. the, the characters are implicated in the cause of their current state, right? And that I think that's a, a significant part in how these things un- unfold. 
Um, in World War Z, um, the environment is a character in a lot of ways, and it's again, it's there's so many instances of people who are you know, like they always say, like I, this world of consultants and lawyers and doctors who can't make a fence <laughs> to protect themselves, right? And so, you know, how do we, how do these people that really don't live in this physical environment, we've, we've worked so hard on our society to buffer ourselves from the environment, are now pushed out in the environment and they think they can live. And there's these, early in World War Z, there's great chapters of people going north because they think they'll be safe and having this kind of camping party that really goes bad once winter hits, right? Right, like, right. We don't know how to survive the winter. Yes, and end up cutting down all the trees, burning tires for warmth, mm-hmm. some really ugly, ugly stuff. And interesting that in both World War Z and in The Hunger Games, the kind of safe place um, is behind the Rocky Mountains. So, like, you have this mm-hmm. retreat sure. back to this huge you know, landmark because we can no longer make our own. You know, right, right now, I think, you know, we think of New York City as, like, the, you know, most prominent place in the in the U.S., and it's this place where everything happens, but in a post-apocalyptic world, no, you need something like mountains to protect right. you. Right, right. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, what kind of uh, broader commentaries do we have about sustainability that we see flow through these? And we've hit on some of them. Well, I think... Margaret Atwood is, again, I just keep going back to her because I think Oregon Creek really shows us where we are so close to. Um, so the, the way we medically en- or engineer our food, engineer our crops, and how that deeply impacts the way that we live in our world. And so I think it questions all of those practices that we kind of take for granted right now. Right. Like we go to the grocery store, we buy by things that have been injected with hormones, and she's really asking us, well, just a few years in the future, what is this really going to look like for us? Mm-hmm. And, you know, being the oldest member of this panel, uh, one of the things which, you know, you, you, for those of you who are listening and can't see, um, it, it's, it's a shift also because um, post-apocalyptic literature um, that was published you know, in, in sort of mid-20th century from then on, it was basically fear of the post-atomic world. Mm-hmm. Like, after the bomb was dropped, right. who was going to be left? What was going to be left? And how do we and, survive? And now it's appearing, when you're asking about sustainability, yeah. it's appearing more about, that was certainly like a man-made event and a, a man-made fear, okay? But now it's like we're just chipping away and where is, and really a lot of what these writers are asking is, where's the tipping point? Right. Where is it finally going to flip? And, and we can't go back. And well, understand that Moraine Valley Community College does not support any of the political opinions of any of the... <laughs> <laughs> right. I, well, and I, I mean, I think even though, Joe, if you would go back to some of the 20th century post-apocalyptic, like I think about Canical for Leibowitz, there still tends to be the answer by some authors into smaller communities, more local. I mean, because necessarily you're not going to have a global distribution network after the apocalypse. So communities become local and they grow their own food and divisions of labor become built around this survival and who does what and whose job is it to guard and whose job is it to grow food and whose job is it to you know, manage and whose job, whatever. And so, I mean, I think, yes, like the, the, the nuclear focus um, happened, you know, 50, 60 years ago, but there's even still interesting commentaries that run through that connected with sustainability that, mm-hmm. that fits. 
Um, so let's take this even broader from post-apocalyptic. I mean, I think there's with the environment there's these there's long there, you know there's a long tradition of thinking about survival stories, and I think of things like White Fang or something more recently Into the mm-hmm. Wild, even something like Moby Dick, um, where the environment plays a character. And, and I guess the broad question is, what draws us into those kind of stories? Well, because that was always sort of the classic theme in literature. It was either like man versus man or man versus nature. Um, and it certainly when I was, you know, being taught literature, that was kind of the thing. Now, I, I don't know why woman was always left out of that equation. Um, and part of the thing that I was just always kind of fascinated with when I learned it was like man versus nature. What are you kidding me? Nature wins. It's bigger than we are. Right. We don't have a chance. I mean, why would you even attempt, okay, to, to, to try to stand up to a waterfall, you know, uh, a sheer, you know, a sheer rock, you know, and any of these things. It just did never, I mean, but they were fascinating. I mean, I remember reading, because um, you brought up um, um, Jack London. Yeah. Okay. And I remember reading To Build a Fire and somebody walked up behind me and I just like threw the book and jumped up in the air because it was just the point where he was so desperate to get a fire started and couldn't. Uh You know, and and he had me. I I was just totally like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what would I do? You know, so it's that kind of thing. I think we're drawn to like, and and people are always going to be drawn to like, what's the big challenge? What's the greatest challenge? I mean, that's that's why all these, some of these nutty reality shows exist. Right. Well, if we don't do it, we watch somebody else. Yeah, but not even the reality shows, right? I mean, I was thinking, you know, you mentioned um, that, like, I was thinking of. into thin air by Krakauer mm-hmm. about climbing Everest and you know people really would do that I, I, mean, it, I mean who would who would do that it's hard enough to read the story I can't even imagine yeah. doing it but I think oh. there's that kind of mental test that, mm-hmm. that that thought experiment of how would I survive what wh- what am I made of when you know when the cards are down what is in there and how am I going to stand up to the challenge and I think that's part of these stories and I think that the survival story and the post-apocalyptic story and even something you know connected to World War Z is most people won't make it. Am I one that would? Right? Mm-hmm. Where do I fall? Right, and it's interesting the differences in approaches that that you know that one person struggling against the environment, or do you have like a group of people who band together and you right. know, use each, help each other survive? And I think you know the approach that different writers take in dealing with the apocalypse and the post-apocalypse, I think is really interesting. And I think says, I mean, I, I too love the, the survival story, but I'm also much more drawn to stories that really explore the group and how mm. can, you know, sure. as, you know, in this post-apocalyptic world, how do I survive and how do I find other people who are going to help me mm-hmm. survive? Mm-hmm. And how do we, you know, test each other and create something new? Um, and create that family and I think you know that's something that post-apocalyptic literature does well you know you have this sudden environment that's that's terrifying and scary so how do you find safety Um, and I think you know one of those ways is by by finding that group and pulling those people together that you know might have the skills that you don't well and I think uh, I think authors I think about um, Octavia Butler as we mentioned or even the Hunger Games where it's fictionalized but there's there's many people in our world that 
don't live too far away from some of that. I mean, you know, we're speaking from a, a place of sort of privilege on this earth of of living in that it's it's easier for us, I think, to connect with some of these personal stories when it's fictionalized and then recognize that the, that the metaphor is for our actual existence. Like, it's not just something that someone's making up, but they're telling us a story that's to teach us a lesson about what we're doing now and that there's people that live in, you know, that, like they think about the, the, the sweatshop that collapsed in you know, South, uh, South Asia, that's just awful existence that people do that we benefit from and that this is also part of the conversation, um, you know, around these stories that, that I think we shouldn't miss. So, okay, so on that note, upper... <laughs> yeah, cheerful note. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think there, that's why this book works as a one book, because it is a serious topic, and um, we're going to be having these kind of conversations throughout the year, so I would invite our listeners to come uh, in the library and join us for these uh, the, the panels and lectures. Visit our one book website, www.morainevalley.edu slash wwz. Um, any other closing thoughts? No, thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks for joining us. You can find the book in the library and in the bookstore.